Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Technologies Q1 2020 conference call and webcast. At this time, all participants are in listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during a session, you need to press star 1 on your telephone keypad. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I will now turn it over to our host for today, Mr. Jason Gursky. You may begin. Great. Good afternoon, and thanks, operator. Uh, welcome to Maxar's first quarter 2020 earnings conference call. I'm joined today uh, by the company's chief executive officer, Dan Jablonski, and its chief financial officer, Vix Porter. Uh, both are going to make some opening remarks, uh, after which we're going to open up the line for your questions. We're shooting to wrap up the call in about an hour. Before we get started, I'd like to refer listeners to the accompanying slides for today's call which can be found on the company's website, maxr.com, in the Investor Events and Presentation section of the site. Once there, please turn to slide two, where I'd like to remind you that part of today's discussion, including responses to various questions, may contain forward-looking statements, which represent the company's estimates, future plans, objectives, and expected performance at today's date. These statements are based on current assumptions that the company believes are reasonable but are subject to a wide range of uncertainties and risks that could lead actual results to differ materially from the forward-looking information. You referred to the advisory regarding forward-looking statements contained in our quarterly earnings release, the earnings call slide deck, and the company's most recent MD&A section found in uh, our Form 10-Q, which is available online under the company's CDAR profile at CDAR.com, under the company's EDGAR profile at uh, sec.gov, um, or on the company's website at maxr.com. Before we get started, I'd like to point out that like the rest of you, Dan, Biggs, and I are conducting this call in a work-from-home posture. None of us have ever conducted an earnings call in this manner before, and as such, while we are confident that our IT systems will stay this course during this presentation, We'd like to ask that you uh, remain patient with us uh, if something does indeed go awry. We'll simply reconnect within a minute or two and carry on from where we left off. With that, I'd like to turn the discussion over to Dan. Dan, please go ahead. Thanks, Jason, and good afternoon, everyone. I appreciate you joining us for a view of our first quarter results and an update on the outlook for the company. Importantly, I hope this call finds you and your families safe and healthy. I'm going to start off with a few words about the current environment, which will be followed by highlights from the recent quarter, the progress we're making on our 2020 priorities, and a deeper dive on how we're driving the business forward in the face of the coronavirus pandemic. Biggs will then walk through the quarterly results and provide an update to our annual guidance. I'll then have some concluding remarks before we open the line for questions. To begin, the global community has been impacted by the dramatic effects of the COVID-19 crisis and we are saddened by the loss of life and extensive disruption that has resulted from it. Maxar activated its standing pandemic crisis response plan in the first days of March to protect the health and safety of our team members, 
families, customers, and communities, while continuing to deliver the products and services needed by our partners to complete their critical missions. Our mitigation strategies have covered employee preparation and safety, travel, supply chain, virtual work solutions, facility protocols, and communications. I'm pleased to report that all Maxar locations are currently, and in the main have been, operational through a combination of work from home and limited personnel working on site. As defense, aerospace manufacturing, and communications are federal critical infrastructure sectors, Maxar has been exempt from shelter-in-place orders, allowing us to keep some of our critical workforce on site to maintain operations. I am encouraged by the tremendous efforts of the Maxar team members to continue delivering on essential services while minimizing risk to employees in our communities. We will keep moving forward, we will continue to learn and adapt, and we will become more resilient as a company and team. Now before I move on to the highlights of the quarter, I want to spend a minute up front discussing the demand environment as we see it today. It remains resilient. Our Earth Intelligence customers continue to rely on us for important national security and commercial missions, and we have seen little to no impact on demand for our products and services in this segment. In space infrastructure, demand too has been little affected to date. In fact, we had a solid quarter of new orders in Q1, and that has continued into the second quarter as we have made announcements recently and today of new orders. I'll go into more details on the demand environment as we go through the presentation. Please turn to slide three for some highlights of the company's recent performance. As we disclosed on April 8th, we successfully completed the divestiture of MDA and with it the near-term reshaping of our balance sheet and business portfolio. Proceeds are being used to reduce debt levels, and Biggs will go into more details, but this marks a significant milestone in our journey to improve the company's capital structure and maturity schedule, and we believe it provides us increased flexibility range and focus to drive revenue, profit, and cash flow growth over the next several years. Moving now to quarterly performance. The Earth Intelligence business posted solid 7% year-over-year revenue growth as we successfully began offsetting lost Worldview 4 revenue in the second half of last year. This is a great outcome by the team, and we look forward to further success in the quarters and years ahead particularly as Legion capacity comes online to help meet the solid customer demand we see. Space infrastructure, we saw solid and diversified bookings in 2019, and we're off to a good start in 2020 with a book to bill above 2.5 times in the first quarter. And today, we announced an order for multiple 1,300 class satellites in the range of several hundred million dollars. Combined with Q1 bookings, this order brings the tally to roughly 700 million dollars for the year and should allow us to string together at least two consecutive years with a book to build greater than one. That marks good progress on our diversification strategy and business development efforts. Total company, uh, total company adjusted EBITDA fell $22 million year over year, driven by solid performance at Earth Intelligence, but offset by $32 million in charges related to higher actual and projected COVID-related costs and a charge for a test failure we experienced in late April at Space Infrastructure. We'll cover these details in a moment, but both charges were anomalous and unexpected. Excluding these two items, adjusted EBITDA would have been $109 million in the quarter. Free cash consumption tracked in line with expectations at $73 million, which is an improvement from the first quarter of 2019 
when we consumed $158 million. Total book to bill was 1.1 times. However, that number is dampened by the continued drawdown of backlog related to the Enhanced View contract signed back in 2010. Without this effect, book to bill would have been higher. Importantly, Enhanced View related backlog from the original contract will burn to zero in the third quarter of this year and will move to booking annual option exercises into backlog when we receive those orders, which is typically late in the third calendar quarter each year. Please note that with the satellite award announced today, we have roughly 90% of our expected 2020 revenue now in backlog, with plenty of renewal activity and other pursuits in the pipeline. Now to a few words on guidance. While our business is not immune from the effects of the coronavirus pandemic, as we are seeing some stress in our supply chain and an elongating sales cycle in some markets, we do have quite a bit of, bit of visibility on our programs with the U.S. government, international allies, and commercial companies. As I mentioned up front, we continue to see solid demand as customers look to continue to fulfill critical intelligence, defense, and commercial missions. We've seen solid bookings and continue to see strong sales pipeline across both Earth intelligence and space infrastructure. With that said, we have decided to lower our EBITDA guidance for the year by $30 million to a range of $370 to $410 million. We're doing this to absorb the $32 million in charges at space infrastructure, which were driven by projected cost increases that we expect as a result of the COVID pandemic, and rework to resolve an anomaly discovered during a test in late April on a commercial satellite program. I think it's important to note that without these unusual charges, we are tracking in line with our initial adjusted EBITDA outlook for the year. While I'm disappointed that we're having to book these charges, it's important to keep them in context. We're known for building great satellites and delivering critical mission performance. These are late stage programs that were won in 2016 and 2017. We're committed to getting these programs ready for launch and delivering on customer expectations. Now this updated guidance assumes no changes in the funding status of our programs, that the current social distancing restrictions seen across the world continue through the end of the second quarter, and that we begin to slowly return to more normalized movements and activities in the second half of the year. Please turn to slide four for an update on our 2020 priorities. First, we said back on the fourth quarter call that we'd be focused on getting the MDA transaction closed so that we could reduce debt levels. We also said we'd be looking to deploy capital in a disciplined fashion and maintain the financial flexibility we'd need to fund the growth opportunities we see in front of us. Well, so far, so good. Despite COVID, MDA is closed. Our leverage ratio is healthy relative to covenants, and we had roughly $500 million in liquidity at the end of the quarter. Importantly, we have no maturities until the end of 2023. In our view, this should provide us the flexibility we need to execute on our multi-year growth plan. Our second priority is to continue to position our Earth intelligence business for long-term growth by focusing on the Worldview Legion build, ramping our sales and marketing efforts of the capacity this constellation will add to our existing operations, and continuing to leverage our investments in artificial intelligence, machine learning, analytics, platforms, and products. We are making good progress. The segment grew 7% this quarter, and we signed contracts with the U.S. government on the Janus IDIQ vehicle, with HERE to support mapping applications, and with Toyota to support autonomous driving solutions. We've also been working in a creative manner with our U.S. government customers, 
continue delivering, enhancing Earth Intelligence platform and product capabilities to support their missions as they too adjust to working in a COVID-impacted environment. I'm also pleased to report that the Legion program remains in line with budget expectations and that we continue to expect launches to begin in the first half of 2021. We are in active conversations with both our government and commercial customers about Legion, and we expect the Constellation's incremental capacity will be a driver of growth over the next several years, given the solid demand signals we continue to see. The sales cycle is tracking in line with our expectations, and we will provide further updates as we get closer to launch. Our third priority has been the continued re-engineering and diversification of space infrastructure. Again, we made solid progress this quarter with bookings from both NASA and Intelsat that generated a book to bill of 2.5 times for the segment. On re-engineering, we continue to make progress on plans to implement our recent footprint reduction efforts and to streamline processes and operations. On the performance side of things, EBITDA was negatively impacted by the two buckets of projected cost increases I discussed earlier, which we didn't see as risks going into the quarter. First, the COVID bucket at $18 million relates to supplier and productivity issues caused by our efforts and the efforts of our suppliers to dampen the spread of the coronavirus. These include the forward-looking effects of continued social distancing through June and the impacts of schedule delays on, of two suppliers on one program. The second bucket of roughly $14 million is related to rework we are going to need to do on a commercial customer program after discovering an undetected issue with a design that goes back over two years but is just now surfacing in final testing. We both pride and differentiate ourselves on product quality, which entails a tremendous amount of testing before we ever launch a satellite. This has led to our 92 and 0 track record on orbit and is one of the reasons our customers continue to come back to us time and again to build their satellites. We do these tests to find things that would have been a problem on orbit when it's too late to do rework. We are diligently coordinating with our customer to design a solution and believe we have adequately reserved for the costs of fixing the anomaly. There were other puts and takes in the quarters, in the quarter, but they were within what we saw as possible variances when we gave guidance. While I wish we would not have experienced these issues, I am encouraged by the recent bookings in the business and am confident that we have the right strategy in place to drive revenue and profit growth over time. I'd like now to turn to slide five for a discussion of the things we are doing to move our business forward during the COVID-19 pandemic. As I mentioned earlier, we activated our standing pandemic crisis response plan early on to protect the health and safety of our team members, families, customers, and communities. This has included a work from home posture for many of our employees and comprehensive worker safety measures where our colleagues continue to work from a company facility given our designation as an essential business. We've also sent force majeure notices to several customers to protect our legal rights in the event the pandemic leads to program delays. From a financial perspective, we postponed merit pay increases, restricted travel and events, and provided stipends for technology that will enable greater productivity while we are in the work from home posture. And finally, we have been supporting our customers, NGOs, and the media with our geospatial data as these constituents seek to better understand and track both the pandemic and its effects. From a risk perspective, we have identified four primary areas of concern and corresponding mitigation strategies. In space infrastructure, we are closely watching the supply chain for delays and non-performance, while also continuing to look for additional sources of materials and assessing if there are opportunities to make the parts we need versus buying them. 
We are also focused on the utilization and productivity of our facilities and workforce, and we have deployed comprehensive worker safety protocols, including social distancing, temperature checks, deep cleaning, and isolation strategies for essential personnel working at our sites. For those working from home, as I mentioned earlier, we have provided stipends to procure productivity-enhancing technology. At this point, I am pleased to say that while we are not running at 100% utilization and productivity, we are operating at levels that are efficiently supporting our customers and that should support our financial objectives for the year. Obviously, it's possible the environment will evolve over time, but that's the way we see things today. Turning now to Earth Intelligence. Longer sales cycles are possible in the current environment, as is an inability of some customers to work from facilities that enable the use of our products and services. To help offset this, we are focused on addressing the most critical needs of our customers and are providing them with product flexibility where appropriate. For example, in one case, we have a customer that is having a difficult time consistently getting to its operation center to use a direct access facility. As such, we are offering a shift to our rapid access program, which utilizes a virtual construct to task our satellite constellation. We are also thoroughly assessing our pipeline for opportunities to bring sales forward where there is an immediate customer need as well as for risks of revenue getting pushed to the right. Additionally, we have identified workforce productivity and our ability to fulfill U.S. government contracts as risks, given that access to needed facilities has become strained with current social distancing restrictions. To mitigate these potential impacts, we have implemented comprehensive worker safety measures, are increasingly relying on work-from-home postures, and are having employees shift work locations to company-owned, secured environments when appropriate. Finally, we are closely monitoring the CARES Act and customer directives. In some cases, the government may be positioned to help offset the underutilization of our workforce to assure future capabilities. <clears throat> Please turn to slide six. Now, before I hand the call over to Begs for a discussion of our first quarter financials and more details on our outlook, I'd like to remind investors of our revenue sources in order to facilitate a better understanding of the visibility in our business. To start, we derive revenue from data, data analytics, and space infrastructure which includes both hardware and services. Our data business represents roughly 31% of total revenues and serves both domestic and international governments, as well as commercial customers. The data is geospatial in nature and is generated from our industry-leading constellation. Importantly, customers engage with us largely through recurring, multi-year contracts, which affords quite a bit of visibility. Our data analytics and platform business represents roughly 29% of revenues and it too serves both domestic and international governments as well as commercial customers. Here we are extracting insight from large geospatial data sets using machine learning and AI tools, and we are preparing those data sets for easy manipulation on various platforms that can be accessed remotely by hundreds of thousands of users worldwide. Like the data generation business, our customers engage with us largely through recurring multi-year contracts. In recent years, our data and data analytics revenue streams have driven most, if not all, of the company's adjusted EBITDA. And finally, space infrastructure, where we provide communications and Earth observation satellites, space exploration spacecraft, robotics, and other space hardware across both commercial and government customers. This represents roughly 40% of our revenues, which are typically derived from multi-year contracts for the construction of space hardware and follow-on servicing and support once on orbit. To be certain, we do not have perfect visibility, and there are always unknown unknowns out there, but our current set of revenue streams are derived from some of the most demanding customers in the world who rely on our products and services for critical missions. 
That affords us some level of comfort on the outlook for our business over the year, medium and longer term, even if the world looks a bit less certain given today's pandemic. With that, I'd like to hand the call over to Beggs for a discussion of this quarter's financials. Thanks, Dan. Before we begin to discuss the results for the quarter, I want to expand on the NBA sale, the COVID-19 impacts, and the resolution of the Ukrainian customer arbitration will be disclosed back in April. First, as Dan mentioned, we closed the MDA transaction on April 8, 2020, for roughly Canadian $1 billion, which generated $729 million U.S. dollars after purchase price adjustments. We expect net proceeds available for debt reduction to be $680 million after the payment of closing costs and reserves associated with the transaction. We've already begun to redeem debt, starting with the revolver and turn loan B. Prior to the close, we entered into a deal contingent foreign currency hedge from 50% of the Canadian dollar denominated sales price to protect ourselves against foreign currency fluctuation risks, which did have a favorable impact to net proceeds received in the transaction. Importantly, the actions we completed in the last six months have allowed us to reduce our net debt for roughly $1 billion and improve our leverage ratio. These actions will also help us increase our flexibility and allow us to focus on our operations and growth over the next several years. Our nearest significant maturity isn't until late 2023, and we currently have roughly $500 million in available liquidity at the end of the quarter. To touch right up front on COVID-19, there was approximately $1 million of cost incurred in March associated with our momentary shutdown and transition back to work with critical personnel. We project the continuing cost influences due to COVID resulting from social distancing and multiple shifts through June. The greatest amount of the projected cost increase is from our assessment of the likely future cost increases associated with suppliers, with a focus on two that we believe are most at risk of having a significant impact on us. These costs go out through the remainder of the year. This resulted in projected estimated at complete profit reductions <clears throat> of $21 million. Because we have one big loss contract and many late-stage contracts under percent complete accounting, almost all of this, $18 million, was recognized as a reduction in earnings in the first quarter. <clears throat> While touching on the effects of percent complete accounting when unforeseen events occur in late stages of a contract, I should note that the test failure we experienced very recently in April was a project that was in the final stages of testing before shipment. As such, the percent complete was very high, so almost all that estimate of complete change fell through the bottom line in the first quarter, resulting in a reduction of adjusted EBITDA of $14 million. As Dan said, we don't like to charge, but we do these tests for a reason. <coughs> Excuse me. The allergies are getting to me. I'm sorry. It is rare to have this kind of issue at this stage. The last time we had a significant test issue at this stage was in 2015. But both we and our customers benefit from the quality controls we put in place. 
As Dan mentioned, excluding the unforeseen items, we had a solid quarter and believe that our adjusted EBITDA results, excluding these items, which would have been $109 million, are a better indicator of the underlying strength of the business. We can't say we were done with COVID, and we didn't assume that, and we can't say we will never have another significant test failure, but we have looked forward in time to capture our best estimate of the effects as we see them and book that the first quarter. Even though we did our best read, we are in territory the company and the economy have not experienced and therefore cannot fully predict what will happen and how that will affect us, in particular on COVID. In addition to the impacts from suppliers, there could be significant consequences should we have an absence of critical employees for a period of time. We obviously will watch these risks carefully going forward and will adjust when warranted. Our operating posture has been largely positioned around having our employees who are not critical to on-site effort work from home, which represents most of our workforce. For those that work on site, We've distributed them physically and are running multiple shifts. While this is effective, it is slightly less efficient. <clears throat> As I said, we currently forecast continuation of this environment, at least through the end of the second quarter. These factors, among others, may lead to longer sales and production cycles as employees and customers manage working remotely and are caring for family members. On a totally separate front, on March 31, an arbitral tribunal issued a final decision in favor of the company related to claims asserted against it by a Ukrainian customer. The missing the claims in their entirety, as well as awarding its costs and attorney's fees. We recorded a reserve of $60 million related to this case in our financial statements previously filed with the SEC. As a result of the positive outcome in arbitration, we recorded a gain in legal settlement of $39 million during the quarter as we release certain liabilities related to the case. This impact flows through income from discontinued operations, net attacks, and our financial statements. The amount of the 60 million we did not release is associated primarily with trade payables. Please turn to slide seven, where we present year-over-year comparisons for Q1 results. Total company revenues declined 12% year-over-year in the quarter due to a decline in the space infrastructure segment, partially offset by growth in Earth intelligence. While space infrastructure continues to feel the effects of lower geocomsat orders in preceding years, and the revenue effect of EAC growth, given the charges in this quarter, we did see solid diversified bookings in Q1. Adjusted consolidated EBITDA margins decreased 280 basis points year over year, driven by lower margins in the space infrastructure segment, in part offset by growth in the earth intelligence segment and lower corporate and other expenses. Corporate and other expenses were lower year over year, driven by a foreign currency exchange gain of two million in the quarter compared to a loss of five million in Q1 2019, lower SGA costs and lower retention expenses in the space infrastructure segment. Gap EPS continuing operations was a loss of $1.30 in the first quarter of 2020 versus a loss of $1.14 in the first quarter of 2019. The higher loss per share in the current quarter was primarily a result of lower overall product margins due to the lower volume, the $32 million in charges we experienced in space infrastructure, and impairment of our orbital receivables balance related to increased customer credit risk. 
This was partially offset by decline in SG&A costs due to restructuring and cost-cutting efforts in Q1 2019, lower depreciation and amortization expense due to the sale of our Palo Alto property in Q4 19, and revenue growth in the Earth Intelligence segment. Please turn to slide eight. Earth Intelligence revenues increased 7% year-over-year in the quarter driven by new contract awards and program expansion on existing contracts. Please note that Q1 2019 was negatively impacted by a delay in assigning the contract renewal with the international customer, as well as the loss of World View 4. As Dan mentioned, we were able to begin recovering some of the lost World View revenue in the second half of 2019, which is helping to drive positive year-over-year growth as we begin 2020. As a reminder, we will see 40 million half-on-half revenue and EBITDA decline in the second half of the year on the enhanced view contract. The remaining deferred revenue and backlog associated with the original 2010 contract will burn off during the third quarter of this year. In that quarter, we expect another 300 million option exercise by the U.S. government, which is an amount that will be added to backlog at that point and then recognized as revenue in the four or 12 months starting in September. Just EBITDA margins remained relatively consistent year-over-year. Quarter-over-quarter, revenue declined 5%, primarily due to timing of customer renewals and seasonality, while just EBITDA declined 470 basis points, driven by lower JV income and lower overall revenue. Please turn to slide 9. Space infrastructure revenues declined 37%, year-over-year driven by a reduction in commercial program volume and the revenue effect of the charges this quarter, which reduced our percent complete on certain programs. Adjusted EBITDA margins decreased 2,850 basis points, primarily as a result of these charges. It is important to note that space infrastructure's results include higher rent expense given the sale leaseback transaction we entered into in our call-out facility in the fourth quarter of last year. Quarter over quarter, revenues decreased 14% and adjusted EBITDA margins decreased 1,710 basis points, driven by the factors previously mentioned. Importantly, space infrastructure experienced solid orders this quarter and a book to bill of two and a half times. As Dan mentioned, we also recently booked an order for multiple geocomsets then when combined with Q1 orders should drive another year of backlog growth. Importantly, these GOs will utilize fright-proven technologies that we have deployed in the past, thus keeping execution risk to a minimum. We expect this program to be nicely profitable and cash flow positive over the life of the builds. This order also has built-in protection against unexpected growth from COVID effects. Fortunately, Our diversification efforts in this business are beginning to bear fruit. We are running book-to-bills well above one, and we continue to see revenue, profit, and cash flow growth in the years ahead. Please turn to slide 10. The company used $13 million in operating cash flow this quarter and invested $60 million in CapEx and developed intangibles. Under the CARES Act, all single employee funding obligations due during calendar year 2020 can be delayed until January 1, 2021, with accrued interest added to the delayed payments. 
We have contributed $3 million to our pension plan in the first quarter, and we have the ability to defer the remaining $50 million in payments until January 1, 2021. We also can defer $18 million of employer FICA out of 2021 and 2022. As a note on cash interest, we have interest payments due on our 2023 notes in Q2 and Q4. This will lead to higher cash interest payments in those quarters compared to Q1 and Q3. Please turn to slide 11. We finished the quarter with consolidated net debt of roughly $3 billion, up $83 million from Q4-19. Our bank-defined leverage ratio ended the quarter at approximately 4.7 times, down roughly three-tenths of a turn from Q4, driven by improvements in trailing 12-month net income and allowable EBITDA addbacks under the credit agreement. This compares to our covenant of 7.5 times. Had the MDA sale closed on 331, our pro forma leverage ratio would have been 4.2, an improvement of eight-tenths of a turn from Q4. With the MDA sale complete and considering our guidance for the remaining three quarters effectively unchanged from prior expectations, <clears throat> we expect to stay below 5.7 times, even using the bottom end of our guidance, which I'll get to in a minute. <coughs> we had roughly $500 million of liquidity at the end of the quarter via a combination of cash on hand and availability under our credit facility. Please turn to slide 12 for a quick update on our projected debt structure going forward. As mentioned earlier, we closed the MDA transaction on April 8. This completes the, large, the largest piece of our strategy to reduce debt levels and better align our maturity schedule with future cash flow streams. As a reminder, we completed a sale lease back of our pilot office facilities and refinanced our near-term maturities during the fourth quarter of last year. At this point, we have no major maturities due until the end of 2023. Please turn to slide 13 for a discussion on 2020 guidance. As Dan mentioned, we are lowering our adjusted EBITDA 30 million to a range of 370 million to 410 to reflect the projected impacts from our COVID-19 operating posture and charges related to the recent test of a commercial satellite in the space infrastructure. The 30 million is roughly equivalent to the amount of charges we took in Q1 for these projected costs. We're also lowering projected interest expense to account for the earlier than expected closing of the MDA transaction. All other elements of guidance remain substantially unchanged. On cash, we benefit from improved interest expense and the deferrals available to us under the CARES Act, but we'll see some negative pressure associated with 32 million of charges we recorded in the first quarter and the timing of customer receipts given the schedule delays that underlie the charges we took. We're not changing our cash guidance range, but I would say we are trending toward the middle to lower half of the range. We have made reasonable assumptions based on our assessment of suppliers and our pandemic procedures. But it's important to note that this outlook assumes that funding for our current programs and contracts remains unchanged, but the current social distancing restrictions we have implemented continue through the end of the second quarter, and that we don't experience a plant-wide shutdown or have unforeseen significant supplier issues, 
other than the two significant supplier issues we adjusted for. Please note that the midpoint of our adjusted EBITDA guidance at 390 million works out to 313 million to go this year, or a bit over the 104 million per quarter range on average. This is not quarterly guidance, and our mind listeners of the 40 million half on half revenue and EBITDA headwind will see in the second half of the year as the original enhanced view deferred backlog burns off. But I bring it up to better demonstrate the current quarterly earnings power we see in the business, given the visibility that Dan and I have discussed today. And again, Q1 would have been 109 million of EBITDA, but for the two charges related to COVID and the late stage test. So to summarize my comments, first, the closing of the MDA transaction completes our immediate strategy to improve our company's balance sheet and maturity schedule. Second, we continue to position the company for revenue, profit, and cash flow growth over the medium and longer term, as evidenced by recent bookings, engineering efforts, and investments in programs like Worldview Legion. Third, while we are not immune to the devastating effects of COVID-19, we've identified risks and appropriate mitigation strategies, and we believe and we benefit from having multi-year contracts with customers to provide mission-critical solutions. With that, I'd like to now turn the conversation back to Dan, who will offer some clean comments before we do Q&A. Dan? Thanks, Biggs. Uh, if you'd please turn to slide 14. You've heard me present this slide in the past, so I won't belabor it, but I do think it's an important reminder that we are on a journey here at Maxar. In the near term, we've been focused on cleaning up the balance sheet, re-engineering space infrastructure, and recovering from the on-orbit failure of the Worldview 4 satellite. As we near the midway point of 2020, I think it's fair to say that we are beginning to transition into the medium-term portion of our journey, which, fo which focuses on positioning the business for revenue, profit, and cash flow growth. And of course, over the longer term, which in our mind takes us out to the 2022-2023 timeframe, we'll be looking to accelerate financial performance and to further optimize our capital structure. In my view, this narrative and playbook remains as intact today as the day we introduced it to our investors last year. This leads me to a few comments on the long-term guidance we introduced for EBITDA and free cash flow on our fourth quarter earnings call back in March. While there is some level of uncertainty in the world, uh, given the near-term impacts of the COVID pandemic, for which we believe we've appropriately reserved with the update to our 2020 guidance, we continue to see a path to our long-term financial goals. Demand in Earth intelligence remains robust. Legion will add growth capacity to our constellation. We continue to invest in AI and machine learning. And in space infrastructure, our diversification efforts continue to gain traction, as evidenced by recent NASA wins. Bookings to date, including the multi-satellite order announced today, give us runway to string together at least two consecutive years of backlog growth. And we continue our re-engineering initiatives, albeit on a measured basis as many of us currently work from home. All this should drive revenue, profit, and cash flow growth over the next several years and has us confidently reaffirming our longer-term financial objectives at this time. I'd like to wrap things up by saying that our thoughts are with all those who have been personally impacted by the tragic loss of life caused by the coronavirus, and that we recognize that everyone on this call is both adapting to and struggling with our current reality. Our thoughts are with you too. I'd like to say a special and most sincere thank you to my fellow team members here at Maxar. 
Your resolve and commitment to your colleagues, customers, and communities during this pandemic have been a source of inspiration to me, and I am absolutely convinced that we will be a better team and company in the coming years as a result of your efforts during this sensitive time. With that, I'd like to turn the call back over to Jason for Q&A. Great. Thanks, Dan. Um, operator, I'm going to ask you to um, uh, let the audience know how to queue up for questions. And I just want to ask um, those that are on the line and planning to ask a question uh, that you limit yourself to one question and a follow-up. And if you've got more, we're uh, happy to have you get back in the queue uh, so that we leave enough time for everybody else. Operator, can you remind uh, callers how to queue up and begin the process? At this time, I'd like to remind everyone, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. Again, it is star 1. We'll post for just a moment to compile to Kenny Roster. Your first question comes from the line of Robert Fingern with Credit Suisse. Good afternoon. Hey, I wanted to ask, hey, hey Dan Biggs, I wanted to just ask about the cadence of revenues in space infrastructure as we go forward this year, you know, between the charge, but uh, the fact that I think you said you'd be roughly flat this year. You've got these new bookings. So do those contribute this year or do they essentially, I know you wouldn't want to, you know, use the word guarantee, but do they drive growth next year? How do we think about the rest of this year and into next year from a revenue cadence on uh, space infrastructure with your new bookings? Sure. Uh, uh, thanks. Uh, Dan, go ahead if you want. Well, no, I was just going to say they, they, they definitely contribute this year, and we're excited about the bookings, but uh, I think it would be better for, for Biggs to explain exactly how that revenue flows through. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, Yes, we will have. We do expect uh, growing revenues over the course of the year. Even if you, you know, of course, first quarter was light on revenues because of the charges we took and effect on revenues. But uh, even if you normalize for that, uh, we'd expect the revenues to be growing gradually over the course of the year, reflecting the strength of the new business we brought in and uh, putting us on a on a good trajectory going into next year. It's a little early to guide for. Uh, 2021, but uh, we should have uh, ourselves well positioned coming out of uh, uh, out of this quarter and out of this year. And and Biggs, you know, just given all the puts and takes with um, you know COVID and the timing on on various programs, when I know you've given longer term guidance, but can we get some sense of when free cash flow inflects uh, positive? Sure. We, you know, obviously we have given the long-term guidance, and I think that's the most important number out there because uh, uh, 22 and 23, uh, once the Legion program is complete and we get the benefits from it and uh, have the full effect of everything we've done on space infrastructure, you know, that is uh, going to be the period of time where we expect significant positive free cash flow. Next year. Uh, once again, it's it's early to give guidance. Uh, I would say that it is uh, certainly going to be a better year in terms of free cash flow. Is it uh, free cash flow positive uh, or not? I think it's a little early uh, to say, uh, given all the moving parts coming out of this year. 
and, and to put a pin on that, I would say uh, there's, of course, some deferral of uh, spend out of this year, but we also have some deferral of receipts out of this year uh, because of the schedule delays uh, driven by uh, COVID. Uh, we have the new business at play. We still have some more new business uh, opportunities to come in. So it's a little early to say exactly what we expect in 21, other than the fact that we expect it to be better and whether or not uh, it'll be positive or slightly negative. But we're, we certainly uh, will be driving towards making it uh, positive if we can. Okay. Thank you very much. Your next question comes from the line of Ben Armstein with J.P. Morgan. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. Um, yeah, so just a couple of questions on the COVID-19. Um, I mean, how should we think about your bracketing of that risk with the um, charges in the quarter? I mean, are, are those two suppliers operating better now versus where they were in March and April? And, you know, has there been any impact on the World Legion timeline and how should we kind of think about, um, you know, risk to, you know, that kind of schedule for uh, launches next year? Yeah, why don't I uh, uh, take the sort of the business aspects of it and then if Biggs would like to follow up with any uh, financial implications or otherwise, uh, be great. Uh, on the on the suppliers, um, just like everybody else uh, that's been in any type of manufacturing, they have had some impacts, um, uh, both from a productivity level and getting as, as many people into the facilities as they need to. So that's uh, caused caused some schedule delays, which has caused the cost increases for us. Um, they are migrating uh, back towards work. Uh, some of them, one of them, only had a, a temporary delay. And how long they were in the facility, but they're both uh, migrating back towards work, and are giving more assurances about what the schedule looks like going forward. Uh, so that that helps us sort of think about you know, the outer bounds of this. And we're, you know, as not sure about resurgences or anything like that on COVID, but we've uh, seen much better uh, productivity levels as we've gone forward as well, and hope for better after the uh, end of the second quarter. Um, we are not uh, forecasting any substantial types of delays to the Legion program. We're still confidently predicting a first half launch uh, to, to start that satellite program off. Um, we've been monitoring that supply chain very closely. Uh, one of our critical um, vendors there is, is everyone on this call knows is Raytheon, and they are continuing to work apace as well. Uh, we're all you know, getting, getting our heads around uh, more social distancing, uh, different types of shifts, uh, temperature checks as we go into facilities and those kinds of things. But in the main, uh, work has continued to progress, and uh, we're, we're still looking forward to a first-half launch on the Legion program. Uh, Biggs, did you have anything to follow up on that? Uh, sure, I can, I can add in a little bit in terms of uh, financial impacts. Yeah, as we already commented on, uh, the greatest amount of impact that we've uh, forecasted was associated with uh, what happens from a schedule standpoint, which drives cost uh, out into the future. Uh, but we did our you know, best job of estimating that. If you want to think of it in terms of 
what does what's the inefficiency driven by COVID otherwise? Uh, we were initially, you know, a little more disrupted. We actually closed the facilities in Palo Alto for a couple of days before we had people come back in. Uh, and then we transitioned to multiple shifts uh, in order to be able to have the uh, social distancing we needed to protect people and uh, our programs overall. And uh, that runs basically the inefficiency associated with that uh, has run at about a million dollars a week to give you an idea of what what we uh, included uh, projected out into the future uh, as we as we stated in our assumptions for how those costs might uh, affect us in the future from a labor standpoint, aside from the supplier costs. It's really hard to predict supplier costs, but uh, the, we've already, you know, know more or less what it's affecting us from a labor standpoint, uh, just to do the social distancing. We'll probably get better at that as we go along, uh, but that's what we've experienced uh, to this point. Great, thanks. We'll just keep with that. Your next question comes from Juan Estenos. Populous with BMO Capital Markets. Uh, Dan, regarding the multiple satellite awards, um, I presume those are C band replacements. Can you comment on whether there might be other C band replacements that are uh, still in the pipeline? Uh, well, or, hey, Thanos. Uh, good, to, good to hear from you. Um, we're, we're not commenting on uh, who the customer is or uh, what the nature of the satellites are, other than that they are uh, geocommunication satellites, uh, the 1300 class, and of a type we've built before. Um, we're very comfortable uh, with uh, the type of order we got. We're really excited about it, and um, we're looking forward to, to working on them and delivering them soon. But uh, it, it's uh, would love uh, to give you more at this time when we will, as soon as we're able. Could you comment on whether the uh, cash flow profile of those contracts might differ from what we would normally see with the commercial geo contract, or should it look pretty similar? Uh, no, that's a great question, uh, particularly as we think about all the other things we have to think about these days, in, including COVID. Um, this, this particular award uh, should allow it to maintain cash flow, pro cash flow positive through the life of the program. Uh, so that's a, that's a good way that it's structured. It also has some built-in uh, protections related to uh, COVID-type impacts, if we see those escalating throughout the life of the build. Okay. Um, just a quick one. Um, regarding the anomaly, um, is there any risk of that transpiring on other satellites in the factory, or is that very unique to that specific satellite? Uh, that's a great question. It, it, it is unique to this particular uh, satellite program and design. Uh, we uh, don't see or expect or have any uh, belief that it would, it would cause uh, any impact to any other programs. Great, I'll pass the line. Thanks. Thanks yeah, a lot. I commented too, uh, the last time we had a late stage test failure like this was 2015, so uh, it's, it's, it's rare for that, uh, from that perspective as well. Great. Your next question comes from Alliance of Stephanie Price with CIBC. Good afternoon. Dan, I believe hey. you mentioned that 90% of your 2020 revenue guidance is in backlog at this point. Can you talk about whether you think all of that's going to convert in 2020 and what the, the puts and takes there are, how we should think about that conversion? 
Um, sure. Well, we wouldn't have uh, we wouldn't have kept the guidance there if we didn't think it, uh, what we needed to was going to convert this year. Um, so we're we're pretty confident in, in that aspect of it. Um, I don't know, Biggs, do you want to give any more on the, the conversion ratio of that? I guess before Biggs does that, though, I just would say that the, the backlog number is very strong. We also continue to have good pipeline prospects uh, as well. Um, demand signals continue to be very good on both sides of the business, the Earth Intelligence side and the space infrastructure side. I don't know, Biggs, do you want to say anything about the conversion rate or anything? Uh, just, I mean, the, the book the bill is running greater than one, uh, you know, so – uh, we feel really good about the fact that we're building backlog. Uh, the commentary was it gives us, you know, 90% visibility to this year. It also gives us visibility uh, at a higher level than normal going into next year because uh, as we look at these new awards and in space infrastructure, the, there'll be some revenue impact this year, but it carries over uh, more into next year in terms of when the real burn starts. So. Uh, not putting percentages on next year relative to this year, but you know, we feel really good about where we are uh, this year and, and what it's positioning us for going forward with the high book to bill that we have. Great, thank you. And then, Biggs, maybe this one's for you as well. I was just hoping you could talk a little bit more about your reengineering initiatives and maybe more broadly about the fixed versus variable costs and, and how you're thinking about them in this environment. That's an interesting question. Uh, I do think that uh, we're still fully committed to uh, uh, everything that we've, we've been doing, by example, to uh, transform the space infrastructure business to have it take, uh, be positioned for more government work, having a more diverse business base, and we see the evidence of that and the words that we've been receiving. We want to continue to do that. Uh, there's some level of investment that's going to require, uh, but we are pacing ourselves in terms of uh, those investments uh, in this environment, not so much to defer the expend as much as it is how much can you uh, accomplish uh, when you work from home as opposed to uh, everybody on site. In terms of the other things we've done to reduce costs, uh, I think we're very happy we've done those, we benefit from those. Uh, we're not necessarily – we'll always look to reduce costs uh, wherever we can, but uh, keep in mind, you know, our business base, as we said, is very strong, and, you know, customer interest in our products and our services is very strong, so we don't need to react to a declining business base and take corrective actions associated with that. Uh, we'll just look to where we can be more efficient like we always, like we always would. Great, thank you. Your next question comes from line with Tim James with TD Securities. Uh, thanks. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, just w wondering, Dan, if you could talk a little bit about uh, what you're monitoring in terms of implications from the potential economic fallout from the p pandemic. Uh, what revenue sources, if any, uh, in your view, uh, could could be impacted as we look um, a little bit further down the road in the coming kind of quarters and into 2021. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I think you know. Thanks, Tim. Uh, given the uh, 
the long-term nature of some of our contracts and the, the business cycle, we, we have a lot more visibility um, than I think other industries do, so that's that's been good at this stage. Uh, we are continuing to watch all things very closely. Um, on the one hand, we're seeing very strong demand and, and unique applications for Earth intelligence in this environment that uh, I think are, are upsides to how we're thinking about the demand structure on it. Um, on the other side, look, look there, there are definitely risks out there and there are things that we, we don't know about how this propagates or what happens yet. Um, two in particular we're watching very closely are uh, uh, oil prices and how that might impact uh, either downstream customers of communications satellite companies in the energy markets or otherwise, as well as how it might impact some of our customers um, overseas. Uh, you know, historically, we've we've always been very resilient in those types of markets because of the the types of defense and intelligence applications we provide. But but we watch it very closely. Um, we're also watching uh, budget impacts and and what, what you know may come down the pike at some point in time uh, with regard to uh, national budgets. And so we're we, again we've always been thought of as very uh, uh, necessary and providing a very good product at a very good value. And so that's been a, a good thing through through ups and downs of economic cycles and different budget cycles, but but we're we're definitely watching those. And as we said in the remarks, we continue to watch the supply chain and those types of things very closely because of any knock-on or derivative impacts those might have on our business. Okay, thank you. And then just a, a quick follow-up question for Biggs. I guess maybe it's a bit more of a clarification, just thinking about cash flow for, for 2020 and the the unchanged guidance, or I think you indicated you kind of moving more towards the mid to, to lower end of guidance. Am I thinking about this correctly in terms of sort of non-recurring impacts? We've got the the, the, the cash um, impacts of the, the $32 million in, in costs called out here in, in Q1. And then the it's roughly 31, 30 million dollars in potential deferrals of uh, related to the CARES Act and, and the Social Security um, deferrals. Are those sort of offsetting influences or the offsetting sort of non-recurring influences on cash flow this year that we should be thinking about, or is there anything else? The uh, the other thing is the uh, some receipts have been. Uh, shifted from 20 to 21. I think I commented on briefly earlier. So there's some movement of cash uh, from uh, out of this year, uh, inflows out of this year associated with that. So uh, then there's uh, there'll be some timing changes on suppliers too. So there's there's a lot of things moving around. Uh, at the end of the day. Uh, we left our guidance alone, uh, which I think indicates, as you as you say, that things pretty much offset. Okay. Thank There's you also we also benefited from the lower interest uh, that comes from closing the MDA transaction as early as we did. So that's another positive influence. Right. Okay. Great. Thank it, you very much, Biggs. Tim, you know, maybe just to follow up on the first part of that question as well, just, um, you know, as we think about the, the the environment we're working in now, it's been uh, really interesting to see how telecommunications infrastructure is, has become even more important for people uh, working in uh, work-from-home posture, creating resiliency for lots of different things. So 
I think that's helped our demand posture on the space side. Um, uh, the world hasn't gotten any quieter because of this, so on a national defense and intelligence infrastructure as well, both for the space capabilities we provide, but also for the Earth intelligence side, uh, you know, we haven't skipped a beat so far. Um, we're continuing to deliver on critical mission for uh, the warfighter and for the intelligence agencies, and that's been, um, I think, you know, really positive for how we're thought of in the business. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's showing itself as, as even more important that we're able to do that and to be able to deliver a non, an unclassified medium uh, for them as well, uh, as large portions of their workforces haven't been able to get into all the, the classified environments they might want to. Okay, yeah. So that's kind of that's good on the demand on side, yeah. And, that, and that's where I was trying to, or, or going a little bit with this, was just trying to understand some of the puts and takes, because I think we, we obviously jump to conclusions and think about the risks related to the credit profile, maybe as some commercial customers and what have you, but but there, there are obviously some potential benefits as well, as you've highlighted, that maybe off-pop set a portion of that when we're thinking about the, you know, the potential economic fallout from a, a recession here. Thanks, Tim. Perfect. Operator, I think we've uh, we've exhausted uh, the people in the queue, and we're also um, serendipitously right here at the top of the hour, and we were uh, trying to get this done in an hour. So I think, um, I think at this point we're going to thank everyone for dialing in um, for your support and um, ask that uh, if you've got any follow-up questions, to feel free to reach out to me, Jason, and I'll um, I'll try to get them answered and get you connected with Dan and Biggs. Um, over the next few days is appropriate. Again, uh, thanks for uh, for dialing in, everyone, and we look forward to catching up with you next quarter. Thanks, Operator. This does conclude today's conference call. And now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.